At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. In a culture growing in hostility, it's clear how far we are from what the kingdom of God should look like. As followers of Christ, it can be difficult to stand firm in what we are taught and what we believe in. It's easy to let idols slip into our lives without us even realizing it, especially when the world we live in puts people on a pedestal. In our new series, Daniel, The Clash of Cultures, we'll be looking at the life of Daniel and how even then Daniel had to navigate a culture who opposed God. We'll discover how we can put our trust in God regardless of our circumstances and how God is sovereign over all. Join us this new year as we study the life of Daniel and learn how to apply the truths inside this book to our own lives. Well, happy new year, everyone. You know, your week most likely uh, was very, very different from the person who's sitting next to you on whichever side. Like, your week was probably so different. Like, if we just take kids, for instance, sometimes it's easier when you think about kids. If you take kids, let's say you had four kids. One kid has not yet started school. One kid is homeschooled. One kid is private Christian school, and one kid's public school. They're all kids, right? They're all kids trying to do kid things, and yet because the cultures that they're in, they're going to experience life very different. Not to say one is right and one is wrong. That's not where I'm going with this, right? I'm just saying that culture is going to be very different what they're experiencing. And part of what brought this to mind is I had an opportunity on Tuesday to meet with a friend, and as we hung out in the office and chatted, it became crystal clear to me that your world that you work in is not the same as my world. And that's probably true for you. Like, probably most of you don't work in a church, right? Because you don't work in a church, the environment, the culture that you live in, that you work in day in and day out is just vastly different than what I'm in. True? Like, and this is true for all of us. And so you have different things that you do. And maybe, just maybe you are in a Christian environment. You are in a Christian culture. Yet there's still going to be places in your life, though, that you're interacting with a culture that's that's so different. And so if you think about what school is like, if you think about what your work is like, if you think about what your home is like, if you think about what your activities are like, like there's going to be times in your life that you're intersecting the lives of individuals who are not necessarily supportive of your faith. So how do you do that? How do you live in a world? How do you live among people that are not necessarily encouraging of your faith? Let's take our Bibles, open up to Daniel chapter 1. We are starting a brand new sermon series today. We're going to be in the book of Daniel. We're going to be covering that first section of the book of Daniel. The big question that Daniel really wrestles with is exactly that. How do you remain loyal to God's kingdom when you are among a people who may not be encouraging of your faith? And so let me set the stage. Daniel takes place at a time where Israel has been defeated. Israel has been defeated by a people, by a nation that is the strongest nation that you can imagine when it comes to their government system, when it comes to their arts and sciences, when it comes to their military power. Babylon the Great, right? Babylon is kind of the pinnacle for all nations at this time. And so Babylon's defeated Israel. They've taken the best and the brightest of the Hebrew kids back to Babylon with them. We'll talk more about that in just a moment. And what we see scripturally from Genesis 
to Revelation, we see Babylon keeps coming up again and again and again. It starts in Genesis chapter 11, verse 4, where it says, they say, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves. In other words, Babylon is saying, look at us. We're kind of the mark for all nations. We're kind of it when it comes to how to do government. We're kind of it when it comes to how to do arts and sciences. We're it. We're it when it comes to how to do military. Look at us. We're amazing. I know, so different than the world today. But that's what Babylon was like. And so it's a land of excess. It's a land of sin. It's a land of violence. And so Daniel and the Jewish exiles have to face the reality that I'm going into a culture that's different than the way I've been raised. How am I supposed to do this? Which brings us to the big idea. The big idea is that God is sovereign over our cultural circumstances. God is sovereign over our cultural circumstances. But that almost makes you say, well, I mean, that's cool, I guess, right? God is sovereign, but I'm the one who has to live in this culture. So how am I supposed to do this in my home? How am I supposed to do this in my workplace? How am I supposed to do this with our sports, our arts, or whatever the activity is that we do? How am I supposed to do this in my school? How am I supposed to actually live this out? The first thing that we're going to say is you have to recognize the cultural influences. You have to recognize culturally what's going on around you And those areas that don't align with God's ways. Let's look at Daniel chapter 1, verse 1. That's where we're starting. Verse 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God. And he placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. And the king commanded Ashpenaz, the chief of the eunuchs, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, used without blemish, of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace, and to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. And they were to be educated for three years. And at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them the names. Daniel, he called Belshazzar. Hananiah, he called Shadrach. Mishael, he called Meshach. And Azariah, he called Abednego. So here's the scene. King Nebuchadnezzar is in charge of the Babylonian empire. And he goes in and he attacks Israel. Then he goes in and he attacks Israel. A third time, he attacks Israel. He besieges the city. And when I say he defeated, I don't know that that's strong enough language. Church, he leveled Jerusalem. And when I say leveled, I mean he annihilated Jerusalem. The walls were torn down. The temple of God was completely destroyed. They were totally and completely defeated. And then we see that the king of Judah at the time was Jehoiakim. Jehoiakim, scripture describes as, a, as an evil king. He did what was evil in the eyes of the Lord. That's what we see. But look at verse 2. I love that Daniel doesn't want us to miss this. He says, and the Lord gave. If you like to take notes in your Bible, I would underline or circle that right there. And the Lord 
gave. The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hands. It's almost like Daniel screaming at us. Hey, sometimes in our lives we have chaos, don't we? Sometimes in our lives we have trials. Sometimes in our life we're facing the unthinkable. But even in that moment, but the Lord. The Lord is there. The Lord is in control. The Lord is at work. Even when you can't see it, even when you don't know that he's working, even when it seems like everything is against you and the waves are crashing over your head, even then the Lord is there right? The Lord gave. Here's what would happen. What would happen is Israel would be in alignment with God's ways. And then Israel would start to rebel. They would chase after other gods. They would chase after their own interests. They would chase after their ways instead of God's ways. So God would raise up a nation that was near them to bring judgment on Israel. Now those nations, they're not God followers. Those nations weren't doing things that were holy and good. That wasn't the point. The point was to judge Israel. The point was about Israel. The point was judging Israel to bring them back into alignment with God's ways. So that's what we see. So Babylon is the one that's raised up. And then King Nebuchadnezzar does something that's pretty gross and brilliant all at the same time, depending on how cynical you are. And looking at this, what he would do is he would take the best and the brightest. He would say, let's take the nobles' kids. Let's take the kids of wealth and of means, those good-looking ones, let's take those. The ones that are really, really smart, the intellectual ones, yeah, I want those. The athletic ones, yeah, I for sure want those. You know, the artistic ones, let's bring those. And I'm going to take off, because if there was ever going to be an uprising, that's probably the group that would lead the uprising. We're going to leave them leaderless for future generations. Instead, we're going to bring them all back to Babylon. And when we get them back to Babylon, we're going to say, you're going to get to eat the same food that the best food in the entire world. You're going to learn the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. You're going to learn our arts and our sciences. You're going to have the very best. You're going to drink the wine from the king's table. Come on now. Like you're this young man and you're going to be getting served wine from the king's table. Like that's going to be your life. And what would happen is the Babylonians would start this three-year educational drift. You have a way that you see the world. You see the world through a Hebrew mindset. You see the world through the eyes of an Israelite. We're going to change that over three years so that you see the world as a Babylonian. So in verse number four, you see the education is going to play an influence there. The education, you're going to have to learn the language of the people, the arts, the sciences, the literature of the people, the Chaldeans. You're going to have to learn this over a three-year period. Verses six and seven, we're introduced to these four Jewish exiles. We're introduced to Daniel, to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Now, names in the Hebrew are important. We know that because of our last sermon series, right? Our last sermon series was our Christmas series, just like two weeks ago. And the name of that Christmas sermon series was? Oh, I had one person who said that. God bless you. Thank you. Because you know what happened is in the first service I did it, and it was like crickets. It was the worst ever. Because I'm thinking, do you know how much energy you spend on a sermon series? Come on, y'all. Emmanuel, which means... All right, we did listen. That was so good. Emmanuel, which means God with us because names are important because it means something. Names mean something in the Hebrew. They're not just names because we opened the baby book like maybe we did with our kids. You know, just open it. That's a good name. Why not that one? That's not what they did. The names meant something. So Daniel literally means God is my judge. 
literally means God is my judge. Hananiah means Yahweh has been gracious. Mishael means whose is what God is. And Azariah means Yahweh has helped. In other words, the very foundation of who they are through their names is pointing the way to a holy and an awesome God. Their very names go back to their faith and back to their religion. So notice the other way that Babylon tries to cause drift in them. They never said, hey, you have to denounce God today or else we're going to chop your heads off. Nope, that's not what they did. What they did is they said, you know what we're going to do? We're going to change your name. Here's what we're going to change your name. Daniel, you're now going to be Belshazzar, which means it's going to mean that Bel will protect. Hananiah, you're going to become Shadrach, which means a coup inspires me. Mishael, you're going to become Meshach, which means belonging to a coup. And Azariah, you're going to become Abednego, which means servant of Nego. In other words, we're going to dismantle the very foundation of who you are, your morality, your ethics, your faith. We're going to slowly dismantle that. You don't even think about it because the whole time we're giving you great food, great drink. You're living at the palace. You're getting educated. We're slowly going to drift. So you're not even going to realize it, but three years later, you're going to see through eyes of the culture of our time. No longer through eyes of faith, but through the eyes of our time. That's what's going to happen. Now, I've used this example before, but I think in our culture, one of the easiest examples would be in 1632, Harvard was founded. And Harvard had a motto. Harvard's motto in Latin was truth for Christ and for the church. So in 1632, when Harvard started, Harvard's whole foundation was to train up pastors and missionaries. They would try truth for Christ and for the church. We want to take the best and brightest that our nation has to offer. We want to send them into these towns, into these cities. We want to send them to the very ends of the earth as pastors and missionaries. But by the 1800s, so we're talking 100 years later, by the 1800s, the Enlightenment had happened in the United States. People were starting to push away from faith. As they pushed away from faith, Harvard changed their motto. For Christ in the church, that all disappeared. All that was left was the Latin word for truth. That's it. That's now the motto. And I would argue today, if you follow the news at all, that the drift has continued to a point that Harvard's going through some real trials right now, and it's, it's a bit of a mess. Like, it's, they're not in good shape. See, I think it's easy for us, though. I do. I think it's easy for us sitting in here with brothers and sisters in Christ to say, oh, look at that place in society. Look at that place. and Look at those people. I think that's easy, isn't it? It's a lot harder to look in the mirror and to see where culture is impacting our lives. It's a lot harder to say, I know the ways of God and I know what we've been called to, but then I've got this activity over here. I have this thing with my family, this thing at home. I got, there's a reason that some of you get so anxious going into Thanksgiving and Christmas season because you know that you're going to be right face-to-face with people who may not agree with your faith. They may disagree, and it makes you really uncomfortable. Some of you, Monday morning, going back into your work environment, it starts to bubble up a little bit in you, and you're like, man, here I go again. I'm getting ready to go back. And then you have to figure out what allowances do I make and which ones do I not make? Where do I say, well, it's fine. It's just the way it is. It's the way people are now. That's what we're going to have to do versus, no, I, I, I can't accept that. That's what Daniel and his friends were facing. That's exactly what they were facing. So they knew going into this, they knew here's what Babylon is going to do to try to cause this drift in our lives. 
they also knew, like, we're not going to be able to just figure this out on our own. We're not going to get through this because we're smart enough or strategic enough. We need supernatural help, which is our second point, that you have to remain dependent on God. That's true for us, too. We have to remain dependent on God. Look down at verse 8. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave, I love that, God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord, the king, who assigned your food and your drink. For why should he see that you're in worse condition than the ewes who are from your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. Then Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the ewes who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. At the end of 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the ewes who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. So Daniel is living in this constant tension. I would say it's a tension that he lives with for all of his days. It's this tension of, do I compromise to gain cultural acceptance? Is that something I should do? Now, this is the first of several times that Daniel and his friends put their lives on the line. Like they're challenging the king here. They're literally putting their lives on the line. But look what it says. It says, Daniel resolved. That's another one I would circle. He, re- he had a deep conviction on this one. This was his like, I- I've got to draw a line somewhere. This is my line. I have a deep conviction. I am resolved in this. This is like if you've ever seen the movie Lord of the Rings or read the books. This is where Samwise at the end of the first book says, I made a promise, Mr. Frodo, a promise. Don't you leave him, Samwise Gangee. And I don't mean to. I don't mean to. The waters may come over my head. I may have to put my life on the line, but this is it. It's where I draw my line. This is where I'm going to bow up a little bit. And I just got to ask you the question, where's that line for you? And I don't want it to be the line that says, well, someone talks about my mama. That's where I'm, no, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about the prideful puffing up. I'm not talking about where you bow up because you're defending your own honor. I'm talking about where you draw the line in the sand and you say, this is it. This is where I am resolved for the cause of Christ. Is it to feed that person who's hungry? Is it to clothe the person who's naked? This is where we, as followers of Jesus, have to say, there's a need, and I'm going to fill that need. There's a hurt, and I'm going to be part of healing that hurt. One of the things that just blows me away over the past few days, um, over the past few days, I was notified that uh, Cody Nichols, many of you have been following Cody's story for the last few years as he's been battling cancer, I was notified by his mom that he's in the last week or two of life, uh, that this is it. And um, what's blown me away is the way the church family has responded so quickly, whether it be with mill trains or after the first service, a group of guys went and took the ram. He's, Cody's paralyzed from the chest down right now, so he's in a wheelchair, and he's heading back uh, tomorrow morning. We'll be heading back to Dryden uh, from U of M. 
And there's a group of guys right now after the first service, they loaded the ramp, they took it apart off the gazebo, loaded it on the trucks, and right now they're on the way to Dryden to install it. I resolve. I have a deep conviction. There is a need, and I am going to fill that need. Daniel was resolved. He was not backing down on this one. He was not backing down. No matter what it costs, he's going to go face to face with the king and he's willing to pay the cost. Now, Israel did have strict dietary laws. It goes back to Leviticus chapter 11. Leviticus chapter 11, it says you you can't eat any pork, no bacon. That's weird. Like, I don't like that rule. But that was was one of the rules. It says don't eat camels. I don't don't think I've ever had a hankering for a camel. Like, that's never been something I've been like, that sounds delicious right now, you know. So, I don't know. That, that's never occurred to me. Don't eat food that's been sacrificed to idols. Don't, don't eat food where you take an animal and cook it and it's mother's milk. Don't do that. I've never been tempted to do that one, you know. But anyway, there's a whole list of rules. Some of them are much more challenging, right? There's a whole list of rules that they would follow. I want you to listen to what Moses says to the people in Deuteronomy 14. He says, for you are a holy people to the Lord your God. And the Lord has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all peoples who are on the face of the earth. You shall not eat any detestable thing. In other words, Moses is saying this whole law when it comes to the diet is because you're a people who's been set apart. You're a people who are different. And we get that. Like if your workplace has a conference next week and there's going to be lunch served, you already know what they're going to do. Hey, do you have any dietary restrictions? You know, are you gluten-free? you dairy-free? Are you, meat is good. Let me just say that. Meat's real good. It's delicious, y'all. Meat, meat is delicious. And, uh, but some of you, for a lot of different reasons, you're like, I, I can't. I can't, no matter how delicious it smells, I can't, I can't eat meat. And so you're vegetarian, you're vegan. You're, and so you would tell your workplace, whatever, whatever your restriction is. And when you go into the conference, isn't it true? You're going to go in, there'll be on your lunch, it'll just say GF. Don't even need to say anything else. It's going to say GF. And for some of you in this room, you're going to be like, well, I'm not taking that one because that belongs to those people, right? And those people are going, God bless you. I'm feeling so loved. I'm going to feel so much better because you cared enough to take it. We still today take some dietary restrictions and set ourselves apart in different ways. And we recognize that in each other. That's not a weird deal. Like we recognize that. God's people were set apart with this diet. Now in Acts chapter 10, those restrictions go away. And yet today, what did we do? Today, we stopped as followers of Jesus and we took communion. What is communion? The eating of the bread, the drinking from the cup. This thing, the way we eat and we drink that sets us apart as followers of Christ that we still practice today. So we recognize the fact that, yes, this is a set apartness. So Daniel has a choice. What do I do with this? There are these dietary restrictions in place. And for him, it wasn't, yeah, that meat smells real good. I'm just going to say no because I'm that strong. No, he viewed it as if I eat this, I'm starting to worship a God other than God. If I drink the wine from his table, I'm starting to worship a God other than God, and I can't do that. And verse number nine, it reminds us, but the Lord, right? Verse number nine, which going back says, and God gave. See, but the Lord, God is the one 
working on behalf. It's the same phrase that's used in verse 2 and verse 9 and verse 17. The Lord is the one who gives. He is the Lord who gave and provided. Not only at creation was he working, and not only in the book of Revelation will he be working, but he was working right here in the midst of their lives. Now, I don't know what you're facing. I don't know what challenges you have, but I want you to know that he is working right now. I, I think sometimes when we open our Bibles, and maybe you never do this, but I, I think it's possible you do. I think sometimes what we do is when we read our Bibles, we read it like it's some type of story of things that have happened in the past or some story of what will happen in the future. No, this is about an ever-present God who is alive and who is working in your life today. Don't you forget that. Don't forget that no matter what you're facing, no matter what challenges, no matter how chaotic, no matter how much the water seem to be going over your head, that the Lord is at work. He is the one who gave. He gave and he blessed and he took care of them in a powerful, powerful way. But the Lord, verse 11 through 16, talk about a supernatural wisdom that was given to Daniel. Verse 11 through 16. So this is where he goes, okay, I'm resolved, but there's a way to communicate being resolved, right? He could have tried to be a jerk. He's a young teenage guy at this point. And instead of saying, what do the teenage guys act like that you know? Nope. I want you to go back to when you were a young teenage guy. Ladies, go back to when you knew young teenage guys when you were in school. I just want you to go back a little bit. I want you to think about that moment. Because when I think about me, I say, I wouldn't have, if my dad would have told me something that I didn't agree with, there was no door slamming in my house. Like that, that wouldn't have, nope, that wouldn't, that wouldn't fly. The door would be removed very quickly off the hinges. Like I would have no more door. You know, you don't want to respect my door. You don't get a door. Doors are optional around here, right? That's, that's what would have happened. I don't know about you, but that would have been my house, right? No door slamming. There was no back talking. Like I, I like my lips where they are. So I, there was no back talking. There was no back sass. There was, there was none of that. But I'm just thinking about the faces that I may have made. I may, I'm thinking about when I had to go to my room to think about it. I never knew what I was thinking about, but I would go to my room and think about it. And I put my mean on, you know, I would get that mean on going, you know, and I just drew under my breath. I would kill you. And they, do you understand me? Yes, sir. I understand you. That's all that, you know, he would get. Yes, sir. That's it. That's all, that's all the conversation we're having. The temptation had to been there for Daniel as a young teenage guy, though. He is bubbling right now with adrenaline. Can't you imagine this moment? Don't you know the temptation would have been there to look at a eunuch and to say, oh, you think you're going to tell me what I'm going to eat? Buddy, you got, no, that's not what he did though, is it? The diplomacy of this moment far exceeded his years of life. Because here's what he does. He goes to him and says, hey, um, what if you only give us vegetables and water? I don't want to defile myself. So what if, you, what if you just give us vegetables and water? And of course, the eunuch is like, uh, yeah, no, it's cool that you want to put your own life on the line. Like, fine, whatever. But that puts my life on the line, and I don't think I'm okay with that. And so what's he say next? Hey, this is a three-year process. What if you just give us 10 days? Again, this is not what most young teenage guys respond with. They don't have this coolness of head. They haven't developed that skill yet. But here's what he says. What if, what if you just gave us 10 days? And then for yourself with your own eyes, just compare those who are eating the king's food and drinking the king's wife, uh, wine versus 
versus those who are just eating the vegetables and drinking the water? Why don't, why don't we just compare? Of course, that leaves it in the spot where the eunuch is saying, no, that, that's fair. Ten days, ten days wouldn't change a whole lot. But see, the Lord knows then all those who are exiles, they're going to be empowered by the movement of God in this moment. Not only them, but the Babylonians also will see the movement of God in this moment. I think it's one thing to look and to see how they face something then. I think sometimes it's a lot harder to look and to see what we're facing culturally. And yet you are. Some of you at school, it is a real battle culturally what you face. Some of you, it's within your workplace. You see, in your workplace, you have people where it's a norm to, to bend the rules a little bit. It's expected that you're going to bend the rules. Don't put the real information on the report. Bend the rules on it. Don't tell the customer this. Just bend the rules. Like, this is what we do. It's what we have to do to be able to get ahead. And if you want to stay employed, this is what you will do. And some of you, man, you just don't know what to do inside with all that. Some of you, it's in your own home. And it's going to make you uncomfortable, but some of you right now, you would love to serve. And yet, you have other voices in your home that's saying, yeah, no, that takes a lot of time to do that. And we have all these other things that we want to give time to. That's kind of a church thing. Yeah, we're not really going to do that. And the whole time, you're like, I feel so compelled to serve. Like, this is something I'm supposed to. And there's a, there's a point of tension in your own home. Or maybe it's with your finances, you feel so burdened to be able to help financially, to be able to be generous with your finances. And you're looking going, but we're, we're people who have plenty. Like we, we have more than plenty. And the whole time there's another voice in the home saying, no, that's not okay. We're not going to do that. Instead, we're going to do this. And it's chasing the things that culture's chasing. And it's a hard place. And you're trying to figure out how to navigate that. And so what I'm saying is you can't approach any of those situations, any of those circumstances under your own strength and power. You need the Lord. How do I keep the Lord's day holy? How do I do that whenever we travel, when we do this, when we do that, when we... How are you supposed to do that? How are you supposed to navigate it? You need the Lord. You see, Daniel didn't respond based off of a plan that he came up with. This was all being driven by the Lord himself. He was the one who was impressing this on Daniel. Finally, what we're going to see is we're going to receive his divine favor. Look at verse 17. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill and all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. And at the end of the time, when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs, brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them. And among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they stood before the king. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them 10 times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. I mean, this is, so they go before the king. They go before the king. Again, in verse 17, God gave. God gave. So God gave. God gave them and blessed them in incredible ways. He gave them intellectually, didn't he? They understood the science. They understood the language. They learned that over the three-year period. God gave them wisdom. Wisdom doesn't mean that you know it here. It doesn't mean being smart or having intelligence. Wisdom is the ability to do what you know, right? To put it into practice, to apply it. They had wisdom. They had a super 
natural. So Daniel had the ability to take dreams and visions and interpret them and understand them. That's going to be so important in coming chapters. So important. And so the king is there. These four are in front of the king, and he's probably sitting on his throne, arms crossed, watching these guys. He starts pelting them with questions. Question after question after question. Do you see the response? The response is not they're 10 times smarter than their peers. That's not the response. It's 10 times greater than anyone else in his kingdom, including the magicians, including the enchanters, those who are worshiping the other gods. He's looking when there's something different about these four. Again, I want to go back to the names because there's something that's happened here that I don't want you to miss. They, they understand the four and their very names are going to back this up. They understand the mercy of God. Mercy, mercy is when you deserve something, but you don't get it. That's mercy. They deserve punishment. Do you remember why the Lord raised up Babylon in the first place? To judge Israel. That's why Babylon was raised up in the first place, to judge Israel, meaning to judge these four guys. They were part of Israel. Yeah, there's some great moments going on right now, but they weren't above judgment. They were right there amongst the people. They deserved to be destroyed with all the rest of the city, yet God showed mercy. And then he showed grace. What is grace? Grace is when you do receive something that you never deserved or earned in the first place. That intellectual ability, the ability to only eat vegetables and drink water and be stronger and healthier than all of your peers, the supernatural ability for dreams and vision, like, that's God's grace. They didn't earn that. Yeah, they worked. I'm sure they were diligent, but it's God's grace on them. Listen to their names again. Daniel. Daniel means God, not culture, not Nebuchadnezzar. Not the eunuch. God is my judge. Hananiah means Yahweh has been gracious. I didn't deserve it, but God has been gracious. Michelle, whose is what God is, and Azariah, Yahweh has helped. The Lord is the one who provided mercy and grace. And my question to you is, do you remember when you got grace? When you really got it, when you really understood this is why we do communion. Do you remember when you understood why the cross, the importance of Jesus sacrificed on a cross for our sins, the mercy and the grace of Jesus? Do you remember when you received that? Because I think it's when we really understand and we reflect on that, that we get to the point of saying, Lord, I understand the difference between being resolved for those things where I feel insulted or resolved for your kingdom. I understand the calling and the mission that you've, that you've called me to. In fact, I, I just want to ask that as we close this morning. What are you called to in life? What's your vision for your life? What is it that's driving you and pushing you. I was asked that question this week and my answer won't surprise you at all. It's to know the Lord and to make him known. You hear that a lot from me. To know the Lord, like to truly know him. To be able to discern quickly his voice. To know when he's saying be quiet and be still. Or when he's saying, Billy, it's time to speak. And to make him known. 
That means to love my neighbor enough that I get uncomfortable a little bit. Those people that I encounter when I go get a coffee, when I go to the grocery store, when I go out to eat. What about you? What has the Lord called you to pursue with your life? That place where you say, I am resolved in this. And Lord, because of that, because of what you've done in my life, I'm not backing down. Lord, we thank you. We praise you for the great things that you have done. As we look back, just even over our own lives and history, and we see all the ways that you have worked, sometimes it's because we've asked, and many times we didn't even get a chance to ask. You just did it. And Lord, as we go back and we reflect on Daniel chapter 1, we can go back to creation story. We just see incredible evidence of your fingerprints over all of creation. And we rejoice in that today. We rejoice reading the book of Revelation, seeing what will come. Lord, even thinking of my friend Cody as he's He's anticipating seeing you face to face. We are so grateful for the promises that we have in Christ Jesus. But Lord, you're not just a God of the past and a God of the future. You're a God of the here and now. So I pray for those who are struggling in the culture in their own home, the culture within their work, the culture within their activity. Lord, continue to show us what it means to be people of faith and to respond with graciousness and mercy to respond in a way that's going to draw others closer to you, not cause a further divide. Lord, give us wisdom that far surpasses what we would have on our own, supernatural wisdom. And let all of this be done to bring you honor and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org slash connect to introduce yourself today.